Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Cross Border Interview Podcast's Women's Week. I'm your host, as always, Christopher Brown. Today's guest is Deborah Draver. Deborah and I sit down and we talk about domestic violence, we talk about the Me Too movement, and we talk about her growing up in Calgary. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Cross Border Interviews Women's Week featuring Deborah Drever. Welcome back. It's been forever, like a whole four days right? since your last episode aired. Uh, Deborah, greatly appreciate it for doing Women's Week as well. Yeah. Um, the purpose of this uh, week's podcast is to learn about women's issues and what women are facing in 2019. Uh, as a woman yourself, uh, I'm assuming you are qualified to talk about your experiences yes. in today's culture. Yes. So, um, let's go back to when you were a kid. Okay. All the way back to when you were a kid. Do you remember the first moment when you realized that there was a different bet- difference between genders? Oh, I like that question. Yeah, I mean, obviously you knew that there were boys and you knew that there were girls, but I, as a child, I didn't even realize that there were trans uh, people, uh, non-binary people, like that didn't really exist in my world. Um, But yeah, it was mainly like the binary. So when was that moment? Do you remember like in school, a teacher said, those are boys, those are girls, the binary roles, or was it a little bit older, like say senior kindergarten or senior kindergarten, senior school, Mm -hmm. uh, when you went, okay, this is, this is, this is the boy's body. This is the girl's body. When was that moment for you? Yeah, um, I'd say, like, when I hit puberty, really, because I didn't really pay attention to boys too much, and, um, yeah, so I think around that age. So, um, as a man who didn't grow up in Calgary, so I wouldn't be able to, uh, properly explain what, uh, happened, uh, in Calgary or the attitude towards the male gender and the female gender and the binary genders. Um, when you were growing up, did you see that, um, more adults were putting, okay, this is what a masculine boy is. This is what a feminine girl is. And these are the roles that you're supposed to play out. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely ingrained in our society. Um, everything really evolves around what's masculine, what's feminine. What does it mean to be feminine? What does it mean to be masculine? And, uh, yeah, I think I did notice that from a very young age, that part. Um, blue means boy, pink means girl, princesses, and that's a girly thing. And But really, when I was a kid, I mainly just did, like, role-playing a lot. Like, I didn't play with a lot of dolls or anything. I would just go outside and play with my friends, and we would pretend that the floor was lava. Like, <laughs> like that was what we did. Yep. Um, and, like, I grew up in Abbeydale, and so... Uh, yeah, I, I remember having just tons of friends and I'd just be out all the time. And But yes, I do know what you're saying. Like, yeah, that is definitely a thing. Did your family ingrain that into you as well? Or are they more, uh, let Deborah be Deborah. If she wants to play with uh, Tonka trucks, she can play with Tonka trucks. If she wants to play with the Barbies, she can play with the Barbies. Yeah. Or was were they more, okay, we're going to make sure that you have the dress and all that? Yeah, I think... 
no one really pushed me. Um, I know that my mom really loved me having pigtails or whatever, pigtails, yeah, whatever they're yeah, called. Yeah. I hated them. <laughs> hated. And okay. anytime she did my hair, like curled it, I hated it. Mm-hmm. I just liked to do what I wanted to do. I was a bit of a weird kid. I would put on like a lamb chops outfit and just pretend I was a sheep or something. <laughs> like I didn't really care about princesses. I mean, I did get into Barbie dolls. I liked Barbies a lot. Um, and uh, that was really the only thing I played with as a kid but no my, my family didn't really push me into that direction um, my high school uh, scenario was the men played sports the girls were the cheerleaders mm-hmm. was that similar to your experience growing up in high school we didn't really have cheerleaders. I was a metal kid in my high school. Like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I went to shows and, like, wore dark makeup and, yeah. So I never really was a girly person ever. But I think even just going to shows and, like, being in the, in the scene in Alberta, it's all guys. So mm-hmm. I've experienced sexism, major sexism in the metal scene. Like, oh, she's a poser. She doesn't know this band. She doesn't. Why is she wearing that shirt? Like, people literally come up to me, like, questioning me on why I'm wearing this shirt and and uh, questioning my knowledge on it. And it's like, buddy. Like, really? Yeah. Like, I've probably been to more Iron Maiden concerts than you have, so don't you dare, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um- so you talked about you you broached the subject and I was gonna wait a little bit but you broached it so let's talk about sexism in today's culture. Yeah, is it still prevalent? Of course. Why? Why do you think? Why do you think that our society today looks at the female gender in a complete different way than they look at the male gender? Because I think it's ingrained in our society from a very young age, like you kind of alluded to before, is that pink means girl, blue means boy. All the toys directed, aimed for boys are like working trucks and construction. And it's it's pretty much that that sense of like men are meant to work and and the toys aimed for girls are like here's a kitchen set and here's um a hairstyling kit it's like girls are meant to stay at home and make sure that they look good boys are meant to be out in the workforce and i think just growing up from that um that's pretty much how the world views it and if the women steps out of that norm is like no actually i want to be on um I want to sit on a board or I want to I want to be a CEO of this company or something like that. It's they're questioned. Like you're not supposed to do that. So I think that's where it really comes from, but I'm sure there's way more to it than that. Do you, do you think that will ever change? <clears throat> I'm assuming you hope so. I really hope so. Yeah, I think that things are changing. There has been a lot of progress over the years. Um, and that comes from movements that comes from, you know, if you look at the women's March and how much it's grown over the past like decade, it's gotten really popular. And I think a lot of girls are starting to see, you know, like sexism, sexism is out there. We need to rise above it. We need to be, um, we need to show that, you know, the world that we have rights to, and we're, we deserve to be here as much as you do. Um, the big thing that I've seen over the last four years, uh, not four years, I would say probably in the last, well, like you said, a decade, uh, but more prominently in the last three or four years, the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. As a woman, 
I, I don't know why I need to preamble that as all because yeah, it's um, okay. but do you believe that the Me Too movement, Me Too movement, is a positive step forward to bridging that gap of sexism? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that women have been sexually have they have been sexually assaulted, harassed for many years in the workplace, and now because we've had a lot of high-profile um, celebrities come forward saying that you know this has happened to them, especially in Hollywood, um, it's really gained some traction, and I think it's also gotten popular because um, of the celebrity status, and so for people to look up to these celebrities and to um, admire them and for them to come forward on such a vulnerable thing, it, it that's how other people feel empowered to do so as well. So I think this is why movements are important because the more we speak out, the more the world's going to listen and that's really how change happens. The biggest thing that I hear from the other side of the Me Too movement is how do you believe every person who comes forward with a Me Too Me Too story? Right. Because okay, you want to believe everyone who's who is coming forward. I want to believe everyone that comes forward. Mm-hmm. But there are some times that there's a story that comes out about a certain person. You're like, wait, I, I know that person. Yeah. How can this be true? Right. So how do you as a woman balance that act? Because I don't want to speak for myself because, A, I don't have any right because I can't come forward. Yes, I was assaulted when I was younger, but it's not my story to tell from the women's perspective. Okay. So as a woman, how do you come forward? Forward, and how do you balance that? Okay, I believe what the woman is saying, or the victim, let's say, the yeah. victim saying, but I also know the person who they're talking about. Right. So, how do you balance that? I mean, for me, I just I automatically believe everyone. I think that just saying the words "I believe you" is so powerful, um, whether their their story is true or not. Um, it it takes a lot of strength and courage to tell someone about what's going on in their life and for someone to just be like I don't think that's true it silences that person and I think that is really um, destructive in a way because we need to start empowering more people to feel like they're comfortable enough to tell their friends or their family about something if that makes sense no it does Um, it does come to a point though where even some women that I've, uh, I don't know their names off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but some victims who have come out said this happened. And then three weeks later, it's like, no, actually, it didn't happen this way. It happened this way. Because um, the, uh, a victim's mentality is to remember something, but it might not be the correct way it happened. Right. So how do you as a woman balance that out? Because that's the main issue that I, I, I don't want to say have with the Me Too movement is... I understand that a victim, like I said, I am a victim. I was assaulted when I was 13. I was sexually molested as a 13-year-old, and I'm willing to say that. Um, How do you balance that with a... how do I, I want to word this correctly here? How do you balance that where sometimes the story might not be fully the truth because they don't remember it that way? Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm really sorry that that happened to you. And secondly, I want to say that um, 
I, that's a really hard question to answer because um, I think what's more important is just being for the like let the, letting them know that you're going to be there with them every step of the way, no matter what. And if that means that their story changes, it means their story changes. But um, still hearing those, I believe you. Yeah, is positive in yeah. your eyes. Yeah, yeah. Can you look back at a moment in your life where you've said "I believe you" to someone? Not naming names, but be, let's be honest. Like you said, it is a male-dominated world. Yeah. Women are assaulted. I shouldn't just say women, but women and men are assaulted on a regular basis. Yeah. So has anyone ever opened up to you like that? Honestly, no. Okay. No one has come forward um, to talk. I mean, other than constituents in the past, uh, but not anyone I, I know that, like, personally. Um, yeah. Where do you see the Me Too movement going? Well, um... I also want to add one thing that trauma really does affect the way that, you know, cognitively how you think and, and even trying to rehash your story to someone when you've gone through something so traumatic probably means that that story is going to change down the road. Um, because I mean, I'm not an expert here, but I think that, um, they remember what they what they what they experienced what the other person experienced was something completely different and so that's why it's important to be on the victim's side to be listen i'm i'm here for you no matter what and um and i'm really sorry this happened to you and and that also sends a message to society being like hey maybe you should do the same let's believe our victims and let's be there for them and empower them and and not um just side with the perpetrator uh, because but either way, I mean, I know what you mean. It is. It's it's hard. And it's hard. But yeah. I understand where you're coming from as well. And that's why I'm glad that we're talking about this, because yeah. um, I understand where you're coming from, because you want to believe the victim. And I, hey, I believe the victim when they come out as well. And then, like everything else, stories sometimes do change. Right. Yeah. And you still have to believe them. And I would. It's just it then becomes harder and harder to fully grasp what happened right because they always say and this is this this as a former journalist student i was taught this on the first first or second day of school um there's three sides of a story there's the one side the second side and the actual truth so that's where as a journalist it's hard to cross that hairs right so do you uh we talked about the future of the me too movement do you think it's going to potentially get better for women to open up because there's still a culture out there that if you open up you're going to be labeled as a victim or as a person who's trying to get their 15 minutes of fame because let's be honest I see that all the time there's a story comes out social media god damn the trolls they come out and they start bashing that person right away yeah so um do you think it's going to be easier for people to start coming out? Because you say that the Hollywood stars are coming out, they're talking about it more openly now, but it still hasn't trickled down. Yeah. Do you think that's going to happen? And see, that's the problem. Um, and actually, I just wrote a paper on this. And so this Perfect. Is driving, but, <laughs> but that's the problem. That's the, the critique on the Me Too movement is that 
it's not really focused on the average person. It's focused on the elite. And we need to have that trickle-down effect. Um, That's the only time I'll ever agree to the trickle-down effect, by the way. um, Me too. (laughs) uh, So that... um, that just the average person can feel like they can be supported as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I do see the movement move, keep going forward. I don't know how it's going to go forward. Um, but but I, you see that it's a it's it's not going away. It's not going away. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's a good thing in, in the general sense, right? Because people do need to have that avenue to release those stories, right? Yeah. Uh, I spoke to someone recently, and they said that we currently live in a canceled society. So what they meant was, if a person comes out with a a life story about what happened to them, about them being assaulted by a man or a woman, um, the initial thought is to cancel the person that the story's about. So great example is Bill Cosby. People came out, he was uh, drugging women and raping them. No longer talk about Bill Cosby. No longer show his stuff on air. Right. Same thing about Kevin Spacey. Story came out that he was molesting thir- underage boys. Mm-hmm. We no longer talk about Kevin Spacey. Right. As a woman, do you think that's an appropriate way to handle the Me Too movement in that sense of uh, the uh, Hollywood stardom? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that that is also a problem that we need to be holding the perpetrators more um, accountable for their mm-hmm. actions. And and just because they're a Hollywood star doesn't mean that they should get special treatment in court. And um, and that goes for like Harvey Weinstein as well. And uh, yeah, I think that there does need to be a lot more accountability on that. Um, for sure. I don't know, like, how we could go about that. But, you know, movements happen over time. And uh, I guess we'll see what happens. The biggest perpetrator of this, and I think that I would say that started the whole Me Too movement slash the opening of the box of the Me Too movement uh, is currently the president of the United States. Right. Um, We all saw that infamous uh, social, or that bus ET uh, interview with Billy Bush and him. Mm but yet again, he still got elected. Yeah. Is there a double standard for men and women, do you think? I think. Because we just saw to, uh, today or yesterday, a uh, congresswoman down in the States in California, she, uh, uh, her ex released some nude photos of her. Okay. And she resigned. Right. Because there was a double standard and women were more, uh, as a woman, she was more willing, uh, more apprehensive to try to fight it because they wouldn't believe her. Okay. So we have a double standard in this world where a man can get elected to president of the United States for grabbing their pee. Right. And yet a woman who shares a nude photo with her husband has to resign. Yeah, exactly. So as a woman... Where do we go and where do we start to try to topple that uh, patriarchy? Yeah. Boy, these are tough questions. <laughs> <Hey>. I mean, 
even just your story about the woman and, and her photos being released, I've also heard a lot of stories um, of of gay politicians coming forward and their grinder history getting released and their nude photos. So it's not just women. It's yeah. like any minority out there. They're the targets in this because... I mean, I don't know why it's like this. I guess it's because of patriarchy <laughs> and um, and that men kind of are allowed. There's that unwritten rule where men, this is acceptable for men. This kind of behavior is acceptable. Boys will be boys. That kind of mentality. Whereas women are viewed as more, well... You better keep your sex life um, secretive and you better not talk about it. And you sure as hell shouldn't post any like nude photo because you're tainted. And that to me is a huge double standard. I don't think that it's acceptable. And I think that um, they should just be treated equally. I mean, frankly, the woman posting her nude photos didn't do anything wrong. She sent it to her husband. She sent it to her husband. Yeah. It was her husband who released those photos. Why isn't he the one under fire? Yeah. Right? Why is it her? I just, that's the part I am confused about. And so a little backstory there is they're getting divorced because she's now dating one of her staffers. Right. So completely to tell the full story, that's what's happening. But at the same time, it's not we're looking at the ex-husband. We're looking at the politician for even taking those photos, right? Yeah. yeah. So where... Like, how does that affect her job? Thank you. <laughs> that's exactly what I've been trying to think of the last four freaking days when I've been yeah. reading about this. Is How does a nude photo affect a woman's job? It does. How does a nude photo affect a man's job? Exactly. You, you think about that woman from, I think it was WestJet, who um, her, one of her photos, I think it was just her and her bra was released and she got fired yeah it's like okay you know she can still do her job perfectly fine yeah but yet if a man goes in a uh, bathing suit down the beach oh it's okay it's okay yeah oh i agree or if he goes streaking it's funny if he's naked and goes streaking across a football field it's funny but if a woman does it she'll be shamed like why i why i don't know (laughs) how do we fix it Movements? <laughs> Keep so talking about are it. Are you? So, I, I always stump women when I ask this question, but it's a question that needs to be asked. Do you consider yourself a feminist? Oh yeah. Why? What? First off, what does feminist? What does a feminist mean to you? It just means um, someone who's going to stand up for women's rights and someone who's going to question the patriarchy have a voice um, for people who tend to not have voices um, and and stand up for what's right. I mean, frankly, we want equality. We want equal pay. We want to be viewed as the same as a man in our abilities, in our um, not just viewed as a sex symbol, not just viewed as something to look at, um, that we actually have talent and we have brains and we could do things just as well as a man. So where does that come from for you? Is it your grandmother? Is it your mother? Is it uh, friends? Or where does your sense of, I need to stand up to be a uh, active feminist in today's society, where does that come from? So it's a good question. I remember my feminism <laughs> came out when I was in the metal scene. Um, I was beginning university and this is really where I found my activist side and 
I already were I was already thinking this kind of stuff but then when I was learning about it and when I learned about it I actually it was more prevalent to me and I was like okay enough is enough and actually I remember being on Facebook and I said you know we I'm a feminist and who's with me kind of thing and the amount of backlash I got I lost friends Really? Literally from just typing out a sentence about me being a feminist, I lost a bunch of friends and a lot of the male friends being like, well, what about men's rights? And what about, you know, they tried to use all the examples of whatever, the extreme cases of feminism. That's what they're trying to argue. Yeah. That all feminists are crazy and we're just going to go burn your bras and yeah. all that, like the 60s mentality. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. So did you lose female friends when you posted that as well? A lot of my friends. Female friends were like, why'd you write that? Really? I didn't get a lot of support, no. Yeah. This is an area that I've always found fascinating. I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that women stand up for women when things happen. Correct? You would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think times are changing and that's happening a lot more. Okay, but growing up, that wasn't the case, though, it sounds like. It wasn't, no. I felt very alone at that time, yeah. (laughs) I I just don't understand how... Like, I I guess I can't really say anything because literally we posted a podcast and I got hate mail from another gay man saying I wasn't doing enough for the gay movement. Right. So, in today's culture, you say you hope that more women are rallying around other women, but it's still not the case. Because I see it all the time where women will attack women on social media. Women will attack women on news reports that, oh, you're a conservative or you're a socialist or you're a commie. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you not have to change the culture within the female binary gender first before you can change the start trying to topple the patriarchy? Yeah, I think, yeah, little steps. I remember one friend in particular, I won't name her name. Okay. I remember her, I went to her house and she's like, Deborah, like, I really am interested about feminism and like, why are you a feminist? Like, I'm just curious. And I could see in her eyes that she wasn't there to criticize. She actually just wanted to know. Yep. And now she's like, total feminist, like... Uh, she's there with me if, with every issue uh, but before she definitely was not and I think it could have been the fact that she was with someone who was extremely sexist and maybe that kind of went into her head a little bit but um, it's about education I mean even with the gay community the LGBTQ community I'm sure that there's guys out there who maybe have homophobic views or something to that effect and you're like no 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 actually it doesn't mean that it means this it just it's that education piece you just need to sit down and and have a a real conversation with folks and and I'm glad that's what we're doing because uh, I want to start that conversation because that's what this whole women's week is about is how do we as a society I, I, I don't want to make say make women feel more safe, but yeah. in sense, that's what I want. I want them to be able to come out with their stories and say, hey, this is what happened. I want them to have equal rights, equal pay for equal work. Right. But we live in a society where, to call this the way it is, uh, some women are okay with staying at home and yeah. in the kitchen. And I think, you know, 
just learning about women's issues in university that has been brought up and I think it's important to know that everyone has choices and if that woman decides that's what she wants to do then that's her choice (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with that but if a woman wants to go out and work full-time and that's also her her choice you know it's it's about supporting each other in whatever they do do you feel safe as a woman? If you were to walk down Calgary's uh, Main Street or Center Street or whatever street it is after right. going to a bar, potentially, yeah. Do you, would you feel safe? No. If you were just by yourself? No. Why not? Because it's not safe for women. In I mean, I've I've been to take back the night. I don't know if you ever been to that. Yep where women literally have to put their keys between their fingers when they're walking down the street at night because they're afraid that they're going to be attacked and raped. Like, it does go through every woman's mind. And I can vouch for that. I've talked to many of my friends. Um, There's a lot of women out there who don't feel safe because it happens a lot. Violence against women is a huge problem. And this goes into the conversation we had in our last episode of the podcast that we talked about but the bill that you brought forward the domestic sorry the safer spaces for victims of domestic violence yeah domestic violence is still prevalent in this community it's not talked about it's not discussed but it's there right did you when you were bringing this private member's bill forward did you talk to uh, victims? I should, did survivors? You talk, yeah. Yes, survivors. Yeah. Did you talk to survivors of domestic violence? Yes. Yeah, I did. Uh, many of them, yeah. And what was, without naming names and going into too much details, Yeah. that's a lot of weight on someone's shoulders to hear story after story mm-hmm. after story from survivors yeah. of domestic domestic violence so when you heard these stories you were bringing this private member's bill forward did you think to yourself I can't believe that this is still happening oh yeah of course but I knew that it was happening I mean Alberta has one of the highest rates in the country for domestic violence yes no seriously really yes and I think a lot of it has to stem from the economy when the economy goes down domestic violence rates go up because of pressure, of stress, of things like that. I mean, I'm not justifying it, but that's what the reality is. And yeah. And so, you I mean... You blew my mind there. Yeah. I, I would not have thought Alberta would have been the top. Yeah. It's the prairie provinces that are the main um, wow. ones. Yeah. That are uh, affected. Okay. So you're hearing these stories. You bring this forward. Um, this is one small potential step to help survivors. Yeah. Why not try to tackle it all at once? Well, you just can't. I mean, with my private members bill, I couldn't have any money allocated towards it. So I had to get creative on how can I protect survivors of domestic violence for free, basically. Like, how do you do that in a way where um, it doesn't have any money attached to the bill? And so... Um, you know, with my bill also came policy that our government, the NDP government, put forward um, and investments. Like, we invested $15 million into women's shelters, something the UCP is taking away. Um, our women's shelters are overcrowded completely. There's wait lists for them, um, especially, like, st- second stage uh, women's shelters. So uh, those are, like, for women who 
need a bit more of a permanent. Uh, like it's it's not as short term. Um, so if, if I'm not mistaken, just clarify me if you're if I'm wrong. Step one is they need a place for a few days, yeah, like an emergency. Yes. Yeah. Step two is they have no place to go. Their family's not around. Yeah. Um, their partner is still in the area but they need a safe space and they need to be off the grid yes okay. yeah so even me going to those second stage women's shelters they if you look it up on google you won't find it yeah you i had to get the directions from them and uh yeah because a lot of the times their partners will try and find them which uh i didn't realize so i was working in lloydminster sort of a backstory here i was working in lloydminster and we were doing there was a check presentation from the mla at that time richard starkey right and uh the press release said it was at the women's shelter. Didn't have an address, and I was Googling it. It took me like four or five hours before me going to my editor and saying, I don't know where this place is. Yeah. There's no Google play- There's no Google location for this shelter. And they're like, yeah. there's a reason for that. I'm like, what do you mean there's a reason for that? Because I, I guess I lived a sheltered life back in Ontario where it didn't... It was never talked about, right? Yeah. Women go into... Uh, women and some men go into hiding from their partners mm. into certain locations where they can get help. Yeah. So, that which is good, but we need to do more. Yes. So, but like you said, the NDP government at the time did give resources and funding mm-hmm. to these shelters, but we still have a backlog. Oh, so yeah. how do we fix that backlog? Well, I know yeah. you're not an elected official anymore, but yeah, yeah. let's... Let's talk about it. Let's talk about well, it. Well, I remember um, talking to stakeholders, people who work in the women's shelters, and a lot of suggestions, actually, this I found this to be a really interesting one. In Australia, they have a model where... Not just the woman will go to a shelter, but also the perpetrator. And they go to somewhere where they learn about the cycle of violence. They talk to a counselor about their trauma because a lot of the time, the reason why these people are violent towards their partner is because of some sort of trauma that they've had. And so, you know, violence does repeat itself. There is a cycle. And if you learn when you're angry, you get violent, you're going to continue to do that until you have to rewire your brain otherwise, if that makes sense. No, it does. And so I thought that was brilliant, that there should be some sort of a center for the perpetrator as well so that we can nip it in the bud so they can maybe help themselves so they can stop, so they don't do this to another person. Do you think that high school students should be learning about this? Because I remember... I I shouldn't say like like it was yesterday, but I remember I think we had one class on domestic abuse in my high school. And I think the only thing that we actually did for that class was watch an old episode of Degrassi Degrassi Junior High or whatever it was. We did not openly talk about it. And if we have a backlog... Mm-hmm. of women who are trying to get into these shelters, we need to start talking about it, not just when it happens, but beforehand yeah. at that age. Do you yeah. not agree? Oh, absolutely. I think prevention is key. I mean, like you said before, domestic violence is so stigmatized. No one talks about it. They People feel ashamed, especially if they live in a rural community. Everyone knows their business. They have less resources out there. Um what are you going to do? I mean, a lot of the times people, women don't come forward to talk about their experience because they feel shamed. They feel like, why didn't you leave him? That's the first question someone asks. Well, actually, 
statistically, it takes seven times for a woman to actually leave their partner. There's many reasons for that. They could be financially dependent on the person. I mean, there's many forms of abuse. It's not just physical. There's emotional. There's spiritual. There's financial. Um, there's stalking. Um, I've heard cases where the guy will literally time their partner on how long they're going to take at the grocery store to come back. If they go over that time, they're going to find them and they're going to hurt them. Like, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so... It's, um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty scary. So, and so, yeah. There's a lot to unravel there. Um, yeah. But let's start with the rural yes. women. Because during your private members, Bill, I'm assuming you didn't just outreach to your riding, but to all areas of... Oh, yeah. So when you went to rural areas, like you said, everyone knows everyone's business. Yeah. So it's harder for a survivor to say, you know what, I need to get out of this position that I'm in. Yeah. How do we change that? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I mean, we need funding. Like, really, it comes down to that. We need funding and we need support from the government. Um, Both levels? All, all, all three le- levels? All three levels. I mean, right now, uh, like, for example, Red Deer, they don't have a police serv- like a police department. They have the RCMP. Yeah. So when I did my outreach, I talked to the Calgary police, I talked to Edmonton police, and I talked to the RCMP. To be completely honest with you, the RCMP scared me a little bit. The way that they approach domestic violence cases, because they're so busy, they have so many cases, that is not a top priority for them. Okay. Which means that's even more, like, that's worrisome for a lot of people who live in a rural community. Like, how are they supposed to get out of that? And that's why this bill, at least with this bill, they can escape their perpetrator by breaking their lease and going elsewhere. But that means that you have the financial like means to do that you have transportation i mean that's assuming you have all and if you're living in a rural community there's not much you can do if you don't have transportation yeah because i lived in a really remote community yeah think of a population of 200 oh wow if that was to happen there's no hotels there's no apartment buildings yeah so where do you go and you have no transportation to get out of there yeah there's no women's shelter no exactly the closest women's shelter would have been 62 or 75 kilometers away if there was one open in that low town and that's what I mean we need the funding we need to have government funding this kind of stuff so that there is some sort of support system or a some sort of infrastructure in case they need to escape I it is worrisome. I mean, I I don't know how else to put, to put it. it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, do you think uh, that uh, because of your gender, you made this a um, priority? Uh, because this was not this this uh, safer space for victims of domestic violence yeah. had not been passed in who knows how well. It was never passed by any previous government until you came along. Yeah. So, was it because you were a woman? <laughs> Or was it because this was an issue that was close to your heart and you mm-hmm. said, you know what, I've heard stories before I was elected of this happening. We need to change it. Yeah. To be honest with you, my mother was a survivor of domestic violence. Um, there's reasons why my grandma raised me because my mom, like I remember waking up in women's shelters as a kid. I remember the abuse that happened to her. It was heartbreaking. And so, yeah, like there was that it is close to my heart, but also because 
women statistically are affected by this more so than men. And so, and I don't want to exclude trans people or any, anything like that, but um, of course they're target as well, um, even more so I would say. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that because of my gender and because of my age and I just felt like I, I had a really good platform to go off of. Are you, um, what's the word I want to use here? Um, being a woman in Canada is a lot easier, a lot, well, I shouldn't say easier, but it's more uh, status quo to potentially the male. I don't even want to use that word here. Um, right. Being a woman in Canada is a lot easier than being a woman in other places in this world. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You look at the treatment of women around the world, mm-hmm. and I'm not even just saying like developed countries, but right. third world countries. Yeah. Are you looking at them and saying, you know what, <laughs> this quote unquote, this is first world problems, sexual harassment. I know I shouldn't have said that, but I, it came out. I know what you're saying. Because yeah, the women are getting it, stoned. Yeah. Women, right. like if they are on their period, they're getting stoned in other countries. Mm-hmm. Women are getting gen- like mutilated because yeah. they don't, and some are getting aborted because they don't want women born. Right. They only want male. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. And I hate to say, and I don't want to say it this way, but I'm going to. Is this just being first world problems or is this a fight that we need to fight? The Me Too movement, the domestic violence movement, because you look at other community, other women around the world and you say, you know what? I don't want to say we're better off, but we have it a little bit better than that. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely know what you're saying. Okay. Uh, (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, look at women's issues globally. I mean, there's... I, I think that it's a different scenario because of politics, because of... Um... I mean, that's kind of how I see it, is it really depends on the politics of the country and how... And the culture, I suppose, and how they view women. Um, and I think, like, for example, the first thing I thought of was India. Yeah. Um, I've heard some pretty horrific stories of women being gang raped in India and and them not getting a lot of support from their families because they quote unquote deserved it. Um, well, it's the you dress that way, so right. And I guess that happens in Canada. Yeah, I, the slut walk thing. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. hear uh, even police officers and some uh, reports have said police officers said, well, if you dress more conservatively, you wouldn't be a target. Well, and actually, that's how the slut walk even started was there was a police officer in Toronto who made that comment yeah. from a woman who was raped. If she dressed a different way, this wouldn't have happened to her. That's when the slut walks happen and it's like, no, women can dress any way they want. Yeah. It's how it's your decision on if you're going to rape her or not. It doesn't matter. Like It doesn't matter what she's wearing. That's irrelevant. Yeah. It's we need to be changing the minds of men and boys and how they view women. They're not just sexual objects. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak too much about the global thing because I don't know what the answer is. I think, like, there has been improvements. Um, but, but I you don't do think... Th- you do think, that, and I, I think it is a fight that needs to be fought as well. Yeah. Do you think the fight here in Canada still needs to be fought every single day? Of course, yeah. I, I think maybe looking at this 50 years ago like 
were we even having this conversation? Were people talking about this kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and now... Do you talk to your grandmother about these things? Oh, yeah. Like, what, what it was like for her to grow up, and as a woman in, say, the 60s or the 50s and the 70s, what it was like compared to how we have it today? Yeah. And do you still yeah. see an underlying theme of, you know what, what they were fighting for? We're still technically fighting for today. It's just a little bit more... Uh, focused. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have had those conversations with my grandmother. And she has said, you know, in the 60s, she was always a businesswoman. She always was working um, in male-dominated fields. And at times, she was an entrepreneur, and she did her own thing there. But, yeah, she has mentioned that there's been a lot of times where she had to stand up for herself or she was afraid to stand up for herself and in fear that she's going to lose her job or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think that has changed. I think that there are women who still deal with that kind of thing. And um, and that's why a lot of women don't want to come forward. And maybe that's why the Me Too movement is so important, because it's a bit more anonymous. You're behind a keyboard. You could talk about your story without feeling judged. I mean, other than the Internet trolls. But um, we get that on any issue, though. Yeah. The intro- I- as much as I say, I try not to use social media. Social media is 2019. Let's be honest. Everyone yeah. uses it. But with social media comes the negativity. Well, I mean, without social media, we wouldn't have the Me Too movement, period. Yeah. So there you go. Like, I think that it can be useful. It can be. And that's the great thing about it. It's a double-edged sword. It totally is a double-edged sword. But back to your grandmother. Yeah. When... You look at her fight that she had as a businesswoman in her earlier years. Yeah. Um, do you go, I'm very glad that she fought that then because we are now here in the moment we are in and we are able to focus our fight a little bit more. And then in 30, 40 years, your nieces will be able to fight a little bit more and then their kids and their kids. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, thank you, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Grandma. I don't know who you are, but thank you. Um, what what does the future... I know I asked this question in the last podcast, but I like to look at the future. Yeah. What does the future hold for the female gender, binary and non-binary? Yeah. Uh, I think, like, with the new generation coming forward, um, there's, I think, a more accepting attitude towards um, women's rights, towards... Um, trans um, people um, and I think that things are going to move forward in a more progressive way, in a more positive way I think there's still going to be a fight, no matter what yeah. but I think it's going to be um, it's it's not going to be as difficult but yeah, it's hard to say right? It is, because you, no one has a crystal ball and you would hope so Yeah. but do you see a moment in your lifetime when women will be treated equally I don't think so no do you think you've been treated equally in your life um <laughs> no really? I mean parts yes parts no I mean I live a pretty privileged life too let's be okay. real like I'm a white person um I don't have to deal with a lot of issues that someone of personal color would have to deal with right like I have to check my privilege you know what I'm saying and so it's yeah like there has been times where I've worked um and I've realized that my male colleagues were making more money than I was um 
even in politics like that was a big one the way that women were viewed as compared to men in politics vastly different I had to stand up for myself a lot of the time I had to stand up for a lot of my women colleagues um in the metal scene like I mentioned before you know you have to really prove yourself to be worthy of the scene right like still don't (laughs) and and you're still based on like your appearance your worth is based on your appearance right and that's just the way it is right now we need to eliminate that women should dress any way they want men should dress any way they want um i look at jonathan van ness i love what he's doing you know from queer eye the hairdresser with like the mustache my husband will tell you right now and i will be the first to admit i am the worst gay out there oh i like gay like i his podcast we find out that uh he gave me armani Uh uh-huh uh, like a little bottle of it. I thought it was foot spray. Oh. So I put it in my shoes and I told him that and he took it back because he said, no, that's cologne. And yeah. I was like, who would put that on there? It smells disgusting. I thought it was for feet. So that's so funny. <laughs> what, but this is what I mean. Like, you're not, a, you're not a stereotype either. You're no, your own person. Exactly. Come on. And, like, and so when you say Jonathan, Jonathan, Venice, sure. So he, he's breaking barriers right now. He's been wearing like dresses to the Emmys. He's wearing okay, high heel shoes. Yeah. Uh, he has a beard, beard right? Yeah. Okay, because, because there's two that wore dresses. There's the... He just won the Emmy. Billy something? Oh, I don't know. Billy Porter or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other guy, Jonathan Van Ness. Yeah. Van Ness? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so... That's the culture we're moving into, yeah, you think? I think that's awesome, and people are accepting it, and it's like... You don't have to fit within your own gender norm. You can dress any way you want. Like I said, I've never been super girly. Never. I mean, there's feminine parts of me for sure, but like, I, but do I feel pressured? Like, I need to wear more makeup. I need to dress like more feminine. Yeah. Because society tells me all the time through ads, through the media, through just even going to the mall and there's a woman's side and there's a men's side and it's like pick your side you know Um, so we we now live in a culture that is breaking down those stereotypes of there's a man's side and there's a woman's side now it's just uh quote unquote unisex um we look at that and we see some people very opposed to that mm-hmm. some people very uh pro that yeah um do you think we are getting to a society where we will no longer have to worry about the gender the color of your skin the person you marry mm-hmm. the person who you the gender you identify with Do you think we're getting to a culture that is more accepting of those and more we don't care? Because I hear from the right, the right wing of the political spectrum, that we don't care who you marry. We just don't want to see it. Yeah. So do you think that we're getting to that part of culture? Do you think we're getting into a culture where that is more prominent, where we don't care anymore? Just be who you are? Or do we still need to fight because there's still people out there? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, you know, that, yeah, we still need to fight. But I think that we are more moving towards a more um, accepting generation. Thank God. Can I just say that? (laughs) 
Like, <laughs> it's exhausting. But <laughs> do you, like when you talk to your niece, yeah, do you get a sense that she understands a little bit more than when you were that age? When you look and you go, and she talks about maybe her gay oh, friends, yeah. her transgendered friends, and you're like, whoa, how do you know these terms? Because yeah. I didn't know them until I was 20. Yeah, she'll <laughs> look at me sometimes. She's like, Auntie, I have agency, okay? I can do what I need to do, and I don't need your permission. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, the fact that you even know what agency means, it's hilarious, but... I'm going to be the old guy in the room right now. What's, what's agency? agency? It means, like, your own, um, you have your own decisions. You, you make your own decisions oh. about what you want to do. You have agency over I, yourself. I didn't know there was a term for that. Okay. Yeah, so agency, that's what it means. <laughs> wow. I but feel- she she's nine, and she says this to me. So, yeah, like, even, you know, Auntie, like, the other day, I, I saw someone said something really mean to a guy who had different color skin. Like, she will talk to me about these kinds of things. She's like, you know, that's that's wrong. Like, we shouldn't be doing that. And why would that person do that? And and even watching the news, the news is very negative. I mean, as someone from the journalist <laughs> background, I don't know why our news is so focused on negativity. Maybe you can answer that question. I, but. I, I can't uh, speak completely about it, but I can tell you that in journalism, um, negativity sells. People don't want the happy-go-lucky story. They want to know that their life is better, and they when they watch it on screen that some guy got arrested because he was beating up his wife, the person who's watching the news can say, you know what? I'm not doing that, so I feel good. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. It's driven by capitalism. So It is. Yeah. It, it totally is. And in today's society, journalism is going more negative. Right. Because we have a society where we want to feel good, so we want to see others fail. Uh-huh. And I don't... I, I, I hope that... I'm not stroking the brush across all mediums because there are some people out there who do good work in journalism. Yeah. It's just in today's society, we'd rather see the bad than the good. Right. But yeah, I mean, just for my niece to look at, watch the news, it's yeah. like, holy cow. Like sometimes we have to turn off the TV because it's like, wow, a man was found in the river, like yeah. dead, you know? And, and that... But we don't talk about the, hey, the uh, four people who just went to uh, a third world country to build a uh, house or build a school anymore because, A, it doesn't sell. Exactly, yeah. And so, I mean, I think that media does play a huge role in how people view society. Yeah. And... um, and I get where you're saying, like, it is driven by profit. But at the same time, I think that we should be a bit more mindful of what we put out there. And, yeah. and because there are little kids who are watching that kind of stuff. And it's like, how do they view the world then? Right? It's a, this super dangerous place. Well, yeah, it kind of is. But there's also positive parts to it. And, um, and but I think what really stems down to is is having a community of people around you to make sure they feel loved and supported and everything else. And for me and my feminist, like, activism stemmed from that. Like, yeah, when I came out as a feminist, you know. Um, <laughs> you got the pushback. I got but... the pushback from my friends, but my family was there for me. And that's what really kept me going. So the last question I'm going to ask, and this is the big one. Mm-hmm. Are you proud of the feminist woman you have become? <laughs> no, no, just kidding. No, I am. I am. I. I think everyone is. They. They can be hard on themselves sometimes. And I think that's 
when you're an activist, it can be so exhausting. It really can because you feel like you're just putting in all this work and it's like nothing's changing as like it's not changing as fast as I want it to change and you go to countless rallies and you wave your signs in the air and it's like it's this stuff is still happening and why but you got to take it step by step and you just have to continue to support your friends and your family and I am proud of the work that I've done and I want to continue to do that work perfect yeah thank you very much Deborah. again appreciative of you coming in sitting down and talking about this I know we went on a few tangents there <laughs> but hey that's what this is all about yeah thanks for having me no problem <laughs> And thank you very much yet again to our guest today and to you, the listeners. Uh, As I've said in the past, without listeners, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. So thank you very much. If you haven't already, like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. Uh, Just we want to get our word out that we're just starting an open conversation, an open and honest conversation with everyone. Uh, We're trying to get away from the 140 character tweets and start that conversation. So thank you very much. Once again, like us, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends and family, start that conversation yourself. Just get out there and start talking, get out from behind the keyboard and enjoy this community because we're all different and we all have great stories to tell. So with that, you've been listening to the cross border interview podcast, a subsidiary of Miranda Brown and associates incorporated. Thanks very much and have yourself an excellent week.